everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Ryan's Rant. Uh, you want to talk about not having a clue as to how to set all this up and what to do. This is, we're about three weeks in to actually trying to record the first episode. I say we, I, spe- I speak upon myself. Uh, I don't have any teams. I don't have anyone showing me how to work the cameras or how to do anything else. Uh, really, this is not a whole lot out of pocket. Spent about probably 600 a little over $600, but and that's between the, uh, the podcast production uh, and the equipment. So it doesn't cost a fortune to get out there and get going. It's just a matter of actually doing it. And I had this impression that whenever I got going, that everything was going to be set up, and we were gonna—I was gonna have everything correct and and do everything right the first time, and that way every episode thereafter, it would just come more natural. And that's not the way it's gone whatsoever. But I have realized that if I don't put the first thing out, the first podcast out, then all it's going to do is it's just going to prolong. There's going to be excuses, and that's not what I'm made of. That's not what I'm here to do. So there's going to be a lot of. Uh, mistakes that are made over the next few so just know that just bear with me I appreciate it Um, let me tell you a little bit about what I'm here to talk about so uh, in October actually October 18th I was shot at my front door I live in Houston Texas and the state of Texas has always no has always had a reputation of being like harsh on punishment harsh on strict very strict laws uh, you don't you don't really swell, sway from them. Well, that's a misconception. And what I'm here to talk about over the next few podcasts is about that shooting, and uh, it's what's become of it and what's going on right now. And uh, it has a lot to do with the city. Uh, they're they're not in the place that they need to be right now. But there's also a lot of other things that are happening around, and I want people to come on and share their stories about that. I have a few guests that are lined out that. They haven't had the same incidents that I've had, but they they have something they want to get off their chest. And at the end of the day, we want to see if any of the listeners out there or if anyone uh, who even comes on the podcast or anyone whatsoever, man, if you have some answers, if you can help these people in any way, if uh, we're not looking for handouts, we're looking for, you know, hey, you need to contact this person or maybe you want to try this person or so forth, so on. But um, there's also going to be times that we just come on and we just shoot the shit. So, like I said, this is the first episode. I'm going to get my story out over the next few episodes and uh, continue on. If you do want to get in touch with me until the actual website is finished, uh, you can reach me at Ryan007Cook007, and that's at gmail.com. Again, Ryan007Cook007 at gmail.com. So... Let's go back to originally what I was talking about, um, October 18th. So this has been a frustrating sequence of events for myself, uh, my family, surrounding friends. Uh, I've gained a lot of friends out of this, people that I did not know. And, uh, and I've also kind of thinned the herd quite a bit. Uh, I used to hang around quite a few people. I really don't hang around that many people anymore. You kind of get to know who your true friends are whenever some shit like this happens. And it doesn't mean that those guys weren't good people. They were more just hanging out or we were hanging out or whatever it was for basically the wrong reasons. So let's go into detail a little bit about what happened. On October 18th, uh, 
it was a normal day. I won full custody of my son April 16th of that year. Before then, there had been a back and forth uh, court court battle numerous times. My son had been taken from me. Um, the The female and I had been, we were never married. Uh, we had been separated since 2018, as a matter of fact. Uh, and this was 2021 when the incident occurred. So it's no prior sleeping together or anything else like that. We did not get along. We separated. Uh, I had weekends with my sons. We didn't go to court at that time. And then she ended up taking my son for 120 days and would not without nothing. That There was no phone calls. There was no nothing. She just, whenever I would try to go get him, she would have the front gate locked and she would call the cops. So I went and I got an attorney. And uh, through the attorney and things happening, she continued to take him even against judges' orders. Uh, there were paperwork that was drawn up more than one time. We had to go back more than one time. She got CPS involved, falsifying CPS reports. And all this is evident. Like, I have all the paperwork, everything else. We've been to trial over this. We've been to court. Um, after, it was about seven or eight different times that she violated judges' orders. And finally, the judge, two CPS officers uh, and a Harris County Sheriff's officer testified on my behalf. And then afterwards, uh, the judge removed her, removed the child from her care, and he was awarded to me. That was April 16th of 2021. Uh, the judge was very firm whenever he took away uh, her rights and, and, and gave them to me. He was very firm because, like, like I had stated earlier, and we'll go into this in more detail later on uh, or on a coming episode, but she had taken him to CPS and falsified a bunch of information. And it wasn't just once. There, it went from physical abuse to sexual abuse. Uh, the physical abuse, there were like three different times. The sexual abuse, I think the allegations were only twice because CPS put a halt to it after that. Um, the police came into my house. The police called me at work, or CPS called me at work. Police uh, came to my house to question me, but there was uh, never any bruising, anything else like that on my child. My child has never been uh, abused by me, uh, sexually molested, none of that bullshit ever. It, fucking ridiculous my son's only been spanked by me three different times and he's never even had his pants pulled down whenever he was spanked um I, i'm not a believer in beating or doing anything else like that plus at the time he's only five and today he's only six even if he was 12 17 18 i still don't believe in in beating the shit out of a child like that like her allegations were saying so and so and also we want to keep this in mind also with these allegations three of them i didn't even have him in my possession she fucking called and said that he was in my possession when he was in her possession. And luckily, we had court transactions and everything else proving that. So, anyways, that's just laying out a real thin, thin ice baseline um, as we get into this story and, and where we are today. So, like I was saying, I had one full custody on April 16th. And here it was, October. So, she came. She had visitation that weekend with our son. And she came and she dropped him off. At 6 o'clock, on time, there was no argument, there was no nothing. I have cameras all in my living room, I have cameras at my front door. There was no altercation, no nothing, all those have been turned into the police. She was inside my house, in my living room, for about 12 minutes total. 
Um, she sat down and talked to me for a few minutes. I was back and forth between the living room and the kitchen multiple times. I didn't, we hadn't even argued and nothing had happened. So I didn't, since April, everything had been very cordial. We had been co-parenting. And so I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. Her being in my house, I invited her in and everything else. And that's not the first time she had been in there to, during the exchange. And so she's sitting in the living room and, um, one thing now, a few things now that stick out about that was she stayed longer than what she normally does. She was actually real engaging in conversation. She's never been that way whenever, um, even when we were cordial. It was, uh, hey, you know, he hasn't eaten or, hey, I already bathed him. Hey, so forth, so on, things like that. This time she was real into what they did that weekend. They had gone to their exes, her exes. Some one someone one of her exes. They had gone for a, a party. I guess they have a pool, and they had gone over there, and they had swam and and done. And she went into detail about that, and she never did that before. Also, we had been separated four years, something like that. And she brought back a broken vacuum that I had. Uh, I guess whenever I originally we were living together. So that now looking back, that was awkward. Um, also she brought back a piece of jewelry and the thing about that jewelry, I remember this in the hospital whenever I woke up, the thing about that jewelry was, uh, that was my grandmother's that she, and she's passed, but she gave to my aunt and my aunt, when my son was born, gave it to me. And so I gave it to her because it was a female necklace. I gave it to her. She was the mother of my child. We were together at the time. I gave it to her. I never asked for it back. Uh, to tell you the truth, guys, I actually, I'd forgotten about it. And it was a family heirloom. Uh, my bad. I, I just didn't remember it. But anyway, she brought that back. And so she sat in here and she talked for a few minutes. And like I said, my back was turned to her numerous times. I was back and forth between the kitchen up and down in, in, into my room, back into the living room while she was talking to our son. And then just, she left, just normal, gave him hugs, gave him kisses, said she'll talk to him, see him soon, left. Why is that important? You're going to find out later on. So, <clears throat> my son ate, takes a bath, does his nightly routine, ritual, got school the next day. And uh, I got work the next day. And so he lays down. It's about 8.30 when he lays down. That's his normal bedtime between 8 and 9 specifically. But he'll, he'll lay down, and usually it takes him 15, 20 minutes before he can crash. And so he lay down normal time. He was out. I wasn't feeling well. So I was in the living room, and I had a blanket on and was covered up in the big recliner that I have in the living room. And so I was watching TV, and I fell asleep. I fell asleep a little after probably 10. That's what I've told everyone. That's, I remember looking at the clock. Excuse me. I remember it being close to 10 o'clock. That was the last time I looked over. And uh, around 2 o'clock in the morning, the doorbell's ringing, and I hear this like that, and the doorbell's ringing continuously. Well, guys, I've, I've had CPS in my household. I've had cops come to my house because of falsified reports and shit like that. I knew instantly when that doorbell's being rung like that and someone's knocking on your door that loud, it's the police. Like, nobody else comes to your house at fucking 2 o'clock in the morning if they're going to 
try to rob you or do something like that, they're not going to bang on the door and ring the doorbell like that. That's the police. So I can't see through my front door, but I go to answer it. I can't see through the front door because I have a big oval glass that's there. And that oval glass, it's like it's got some decoration on it. It had some some metal pieces of glass on it. It's something that they can't see in and you really can't see out. You got to go to the side window. And so I went to the side window and I just see a uniform. I know, Paris County Sheriff. Cool. Also, I saw the lights outside. And now the lights, I could see the top of the uh, cop car, the cop lights. I could see that, but the lights are still on. The car is running. That's Harris County Sheriff's. They're going to come in, do whatever they need to do. They'll balls out here in a minute. So just like I say, man, he comes in. He's like, do you have a son with you by the name of, uh, and he gives his name. I said, I do. All right, can I see him? I was like, yeah, he's asleep. Do you want to see him? And he's like, yeah. I said, do you want me to wake him up? And he goes, no, there's no need to wake him up. I'll just look at him. And so we walk through the living room and we walk into the room that he's in and he's asleep. And I go to turn on the light and he's like, no, you don't need to turn on the light. And so he takes his flashlight and he just shines it. And my son's asleep and he's belly down asleep and he's snoring. And uh, he goes, I specifically remember this, but I didn't know why at the time. I just thought, well, that's fucking strange. But he goes, his arms aren't broke. I says, no, his arms aren't broke. Well, he's not beat up either. I said, no, I didn't get him back until, I didn't even get him until six o'clock this evening. I was like, what is this all about? He goes, did you just win custody? I said, no, I didn't just win, man. It was April 16th when I won custody. And he goes, has she ever called before over falsified reports? And I said, yeah, um, as a matter of fact, like it's in custody paperwork that she can't call the cops anymore in false falsified reports. She can't call CPS and do that anymore. It's, it's written in paper. It's by a judge, a Harris County judge. After eight times of this shit going on, put it in paperwork. And he was like, okay. He's like, well, if I were you, I would get back in contact with whoever it is you need to contact, be it your lawyer, your court, whatever else. He said, we got a complaint from her saying that you had broke his arms and beat him and called him a shithead. That's very specific. Called him a shithead. Of everything else that I apparently had done from 6 o'clock to 8.30 when he went to bed, that's very specific to just call him a shithead. You know, after apparently I broke his arms and apparently I beat him. On top of it, I called him a shithead. It, it's frustrating now whenever I sit here and I think about it. So anyways, the officer left. He was real cordial. He was maybe six, seven minutes in my house max the whole time he was here. Whenever he left, I came and I sat back down in the recliner. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm like, man, this is, this is some bullshit. I've been through enough. If I can, I'm letting my attorney know right away we're going after parental rights. This is, this is ridiculous. So I grabbed my laptop and it's 2.30-ish, 2.40-ish. Uh, there's an email stamp on when the email went out, but I wrote, my, I wrote an email to my attorney and I told him what had just happened. And it was during that time that I remembered, oh shit, the officer didn't leave his card. Every time they come, they'll leave a card and it'll say Harris County Sheriff's and it'll have like a number on there, whether it be like a case number or something that you could reference and it'll have the officer's name. And he didn't leave that when he left. And so I was like, oh shit, well, I can get that. That'll come in on the report on whatever else. I can get that. We can subpoena that. We'll subpoena the officer as well. And I'm thinking all this shit in my head, right? And so I sent that email to my attorney. I went back to sleep. I wasn't even asleep. 
I, I would venture to even say I wasn't asleep. My eyes were closed. Uh, I don't remember being in REM or anything else like that, but uh, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's the same thing. Doorbell ringing, ding, 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 boom, 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 boom. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, that dude forgot to give me his card. He's going to give me his card now. So what does my dumbass do? I approach the door, just like I did the first time, just like I had done every single time, and this time I just opened it. I didn't do the whole check or anything else because I saw lights. The car was parked in the driveway. I saw lights shining through. I knew someone was at my door. And I even have a camera at my fucking door. But I thought it was the officer and I and I didn't I didn't check. And even if I would have, I still would have answered the door not knowing. All right? Like I So anyways, I open the door, and I get the door about six inches open. And I don't have time to say anything. Again, the six inches, is, it's only like this. So it's, it's not far at all. Uh, some guys will lie about it, but there's a measuring tape. Six inches is six inches, gentlemen. So anyways, I get the door. I'm swinging the door open, and the first shot rings out. And it hit me in the abdomen. Point blank range. And I don't specifically remember hearing like I, I remember hearing the echo of a gun and I, I know immediately I felt warmth because immediately I put hand I put my hand over my stomach where I was hit and I felt warmth but I, I'm not the smartest individual in the world I'd never been shot until this this was my first time so I didn't know but I remember distinctively the smell of fucking gunpowder it was so strong. It was ever like that. It was overpowering. Now, granted, she—if I would have reached out, I could have grabbed her. That's how close she was. Um, the gun. When I initially, I guess, from watching the camera footage, we know now that the gun was at her side by her hip. So, had I even looked out the window, I wouldn't have seen the pistol. I didn't. I didn't know, and I had no idea that this crazy bitch was out to kill me. No clue. So, anyways, there's a struggle at the door. I'm not dead. So there's a struggle at the door. She's trying to get in. And I have my hand on the door, and I'm trying to close the door. And as I'm doing this with, with my hands, uh, blood's coming out, but my body just gives out. Uh, it wasn't because I lost so much blood. I, I don't have that answer. At the time, I didn't have the answer. But my body just gave out, and I fell. And Luckily, my body fell behind the door. And so she's trying to push the door open, and she can't move the weight of my body. I'm um, six foot at the time, 235, 230, a lot smaller now, still six foot. Some doctors will say I'm 5'11", but I'm actually six foot. I got some plates and shit in my back, maybe a little shorter. But um, anyways, I've lost quite a bit of weight. At the time, I was a lot heavier. She was having a hard time moving me, and luckily she couldn't. But she was getting her arm, if this is the door... She was getting her arm around the door with the pistol. And what she was trying to do was, I don't think she knew I was on the ground. She was trying to make a feel point, to feel where that pistol was going to hit before she fired her second round. Luckily, I mean, the pistol was up and down. I can remember looking up and seeing her arm and seeing the pistol. Again, gentlemen, six inches to six inches. This is a little further. It's like a foot, foot and a half away. Um... I remember her doing the pistol up and down like this. 
And thank God she didn't fire because if she would have fired, it, it would have been a foot and a half from my face. It would have been a headshot. So, but she's trying to get in to execute. So I start kicking the door with what I can. Um, my knee, my foot, I'm just swinging my legs, kicking the door as hard as I can, and it's smashing against her arm like this. It's wedging her arm in between the door and the frame. And so she pulls it, and when she pulled the gun back, uh, the, gu the door was closed uh, just a few seconds whenever that happened, but in a struggle, in, in a life-or-death situation like this, a few seconds, it feels like eternity because I'm battling to get back. I, I'm, I remember holding my stomach, and I'm trying to set up so I can reach the lock and, and, and lock the door. Um, eventually, I made it. It was probably only two or three seconds when the door was shut and my foot was against the door. Anyways, I was able to, in the blood, spin on my buttocks a little bit, um, spin like this, and lock the door. Now, at this time, my son's coming down the hallway. And he's screaming, Daddy. And he's running down the hallway. Well, the killer's still outside. So what I'm trying to do is I can't get back to my feet. At this time, I didn't know why. I knew I was gut shot, but I didn't know why I, I was having such a hard time getting, getting to my feet. I, I just couldn't do anything. And so I started to slide backwards on my elbows. I'm almost laying on my back, and one, one elbow I'm sliding backwards. And I get to where my son's at, and I put my hand on his chest like this. I put my hand on his chest, and I see the through that oval shape in the door, I see a shadow raising like this. And so I knew she was fixing to fire another round through. I couldn't move. I couldn't get my son out the way. I'm telling him to run, and I just I have a hand here, and I put my hand up here. And the second round that she fired went through the door and contacted my hand. Now, I'm sideways like this, all right? I'm, I have one hand on my son. I'm laying on my back with my elbow, uh, resting my body up, and then one hand in front of me. Luckily, that bullet struck the palm of my hand. What happened was when she fired, it, the bullet, it nicked a metal piece that was on the door, and instead of the bullet going uh, in a rotation, it went end over end. And so it impacted my hand. Now, had it miss my hand that would have hit my son center mass my five-year-old at that time son it would have hit him center mass <clears throat> so i get my son i'm screaming the whole time let's get it frank let's set the scene here for a second i forgot a few things here the whole time ever since the first shot was fired i've i've had to cope with this this is something that's bothered me a, a lot, is my screams. I was screaming for help, and I was screaming, like, I kept saying it over and over, somebody help me, somebody help me, somebody help me. I was in pain, but I, I think of it nowadays, whenever I, uh, I first saw it in the hospital, whenever I came to, and everything else, I was like, in my head, I was thinking, I was like, God, you're, you're not a fucking coward like that, man. Why were you screaming like that? It was a, uh, I still don't have that firm answer. I don't know. I know it hurt, and that's the most pain I've ever been through, but it was a panic. It was a, uh, it was seeing, it was not being able to get back to your feet, knowing that the gun person, the person with the gun is still after you. It's still waving it through the door. At any time, you could be executed. And then whenever the second one hit my hand, I remember letting out a scream, but that was a fear scream. It hurt. Don't get me wrong. That the bullet's still in here. That it fucking hurt, 
But I remember letting out a scream, and I was thinking, he, she's going to hit my son. She's going to hit my son. And anyways, I ended up still, I'm crawling, right? So back to the story, I'm screaming, and I'm, I'm crawling backwards. And I get around, so my, my entryway hallway breaks off into the living room. And I was able to get behind the wall in the living room and get my son into the living room. And then a new panic set in because now I don't have eyes on her. Now, she don't have eyes on target either, and yet that, that oval-shaped glass that we were talking about, now it's shattered. Okay, so she can look through and see. And so once I got out of the, out of the line of fire and I got my son out of the line of fire, I was just looking around, and I saw the big windows in the living room. And they're, uh, they're full size, so they almost go from floor to ceiling, and it's on one side of my house. And uh, I was worried about her having enough sense to go around to those windows. If she was going to finish, that's what, this is where she's going to finish it at because I, I can't move anymore. I'm, I'm giving out. And so I told my son, run into my room. I said, go into the room, go into the room. And so my son, I remember that was the last time that I saw eyes on him until afterwards. But that was for a while. That was the last time I set eyes on him. He went into my room and um, I was worried about her coming around. So I'm staying low. I can't stand on my feet anyway at this time. So I'm staying low and I see my cell phone is on the coffee table. But the coffee table is on the end that I'd been sleeping at in the recliner. And that's closest to those windows. And so I was hesitant. Because maybe she could see a shadow. Maybe she could see something else. I was hesitant to go towards those windows in fear that I was going to get shot. Natural thing, right? Well, did it anyway. So what I did was couldn't stand up at the time. So again, elbow crawled, got my cell phone, called 911. 911, uh, when they got on the phone, this is where it gets kind of blurry with the 911 call. So I still haven't heard the 911 call. I've asked for the 911 call, but um, I've been told it's none of my business. Yeah, I said, I said that. That's, that's what the DA is telling me, is that my 911 call that I placed is none of my business. So I still haven't heard the 911 call, but I know that when I was on the phone with 911, I went belly down on that recliner that I had been laying in. And I pushed myself up. I went belly down and I pushed myself up so I could get to my feet. I didn't know if I could stand or not. This whole time, I'm pumping blood, so I'm not wearing a shirt, but I'm wearing underwear and shorts. My shorts are tan. They, man, they were my favorite shorts. Those shorts were badass. I think I had those things like three years. They're tan golf shorts. I love them. Can't replace those. Anyways, as I stand up, I can feel the blood is like pooling on the inside of the shorts and inside my underwear. It's also running down my leg, but it's not like overflowing. It's not like enormous amount of blood. I can just feel it because it's warm. I can feel it. And so anyways, I'm able to get to my feet. And as I start to use everything in the house to brace myself, the couch, uh, and what I'm doing is I'm making my way to the back door. I need to see if the back door is locked. I don't live in a real bad area in Houston. And uh, normally things like this don't happen in the neighborhood that I live in. So I don't, we don't have a high 
uh, crime rate as far as homicides or, or attacks like this in, in the area that I live in. It's more petty theft. And so a lot of times we'll be playing in the back door or we'll be barbecuing or doing whatever else is that we do outside. And throughout the time in there, I may just forget to lock the damn door. So I remembered, you need to go make sure the back door is locked because I didn't want her coming around. Now she has a point of entry. And so I'm still on my feet. I'm staggering. I'm using the wall and the counters as my brace. I'm on the phone with 911. And I remember 911 asking information about her over and over and over. Who is she? Um, what is the description? What does she drive? What's her address? Um, did we have an altercation? So forth, so on. They're going in, and I'm giving all the information I can. And I keep telling them, I made it to that back door, and I locked that back door. And I, I remember telling uh, the 911, I remember telling them, she hasn't left yet. As far as I know, the shooter is still on scene. So you need to clear the zone before you make entry to the household. And she was like, we will, we will, we will. Well, this is my bad. I got frustrated with 911 because uh, I was telling them, I made it back in into the, um, into the living room. And in passing, I grabbed my work phone. And because it was on the counter in the kitchen and from my work phone I called my girlfriend and told her that I had been shot and I didn't know you know I was in panic mode I didn't know if I was going to live or if I was going to die I knew I had been shot twice and I knew who the shooter was I was on the phone with 911 911 was asking me the same questions over and over I was getting frustrated I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that but when you need help and those seconds are minutes and those minutes just seem like they're forever. Like, I can remember through the silence of everything uh, after I hung up. So, it, let me get back to this. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Forgive me. Like I said, guys, there's going to be problems this first podcast. So, 911 kept telling me after they got their information, they kept telling me that they that we have people in route. We have people in route. And she kept telling me, sir, get a shirt, get something, and pack your wound and apply pressure. And so I'm doing that, and she starts asking me again information about her, and, and, and they asked about my son, and I had already given all this information, and I said, you're asking the same fucking questions. And she goes, sir, just keep pressure. Just stay with me. So what she was wanting to do is she was wanting to keep me alert. She didn't know how much blood I was losing. She was doing a good job. She was doing her job. I was the asshole. I hung up the phone. So I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have done that. But I, I got to give it to, I got to give it from 911 all the way through this whole story, guys. They, they did a hell of a job. All right. So know that going in. And so when I hung up the phone, I had hung up the phone with my girlfriend quickly. <coughs> I hung up the phone with 911 and I'm just laying because I can't stand anymore. And so I'm laying at the foot of my couch and I could look over to my left and I could see my son and he kept saying over and over, Daddy, are you dying? Daddy, are you dying? And I said, no, I'm not dying. And he was crying. Um, I didn't notice his skin color at the time, but he was crying hysterically. And so, <clears throat> anyways, whenever you're sitting there and something like this has happened, I know we mentioned it while ago, but fuck, man, time. Those seconds on the clock. Dude, it's, you can hear every one of them. And then in the faint distance, 
I could hear sirens. And so I knew they were coming for me. There, there was just too many of them that you would hear. And the guys, they were rolling hot. They didn't turn off the sirens. They were coming in, and they were coming in hot. Well, I hear the door. And so um, I just assume maybe the officer must have stuck her hand in the door. Whoever made, whoever made entry in the door uh, unlocked the door. So whether they stuck their hand through the, through the bullet hole or the shattered glass and did whatever it was, that's, that's what happened. I remember that I remember a female's voice at the door and she was saying, hello, hello, hello. And I was responding back and I responded back with clear the outside before you come in. She's not inside here. Clear the outside. And she goes, uh, the female goes, sir, there's nobody out here. So that made me feel a whole lot more comfortable because the whole time I'm, I'm worried that the cops are going to roll up and she's still outside. And now we have a we have more people that's going to be in danger. She's going to be start firing at them, and they're naturally they're going to return fire. And I just didn't want anyone else to get hurt. And so, thank God she was gone. So the officers come in, and this female officer, uh, I still don't have her name because I don't have a copy of the report. That's none of my business as well, from everything that I've been told. Um. <clears throat> So anyways, this, this hero comes in, and she saw me on the ground, and she said, where's your son? And uh, another thing I, I did not tell anyone about is I have, I had at the time a German shepherd that was 10, 9, 10 months old, good-sized German shepherd. When the officer came to do the welfare check, I put her in the kennel, in the living room. So, uh, whenever I went back out, she was asleep. Whenever I was starting to fall asleep again, the dog was asleep. So I didn't, I didn't wake her up. Like I had to be up in two and a half hours anyway for work. So I I didn't, I didn't wake her up. I was going to let her out and let her do her thing whenever, uh, I got ready for work. That was my initial. That was my plan. She was out cold. When all this shit happened, she's popping off at the kennel, right? So she's not really hitting that kennel door, but she's on guard, dude. Her ears are perked. She's, uh, she's, she knows shit has gone down, and she wants out. And uh, she, you know, she wants to do her own investigation. And I remember that officer making eye contact with my German Shepherd, and she goes, uh, can he get out? And I said, no, it's, it's a female, but no, she's, she's locked. And she goes, keep her in there. And... And so she went into the room in which my son was in. And uh, she comes out carrying him. And my son is pale white. If, if I could tell you how white, it's like uh, when you spray the walls in a, in a house and they're, they're white like that. That's, I mean, my son was pale white, pale, pale white. And she goes, he, she comes out carrying him and she has a blanket around him. And she said, I have to get you. But she goes, I have to get him out of here. He's in a state of shock. Now, keep in mind, guys, my five-year-old's just seen me take two slugs. All right? He doesn't know what's going on. He just seen daddy been shot twice and try to get him to safety. He has no idea what's going on. So they take him outside. Um, Whenever they take him outside, I can hear a bunch of other people, and I can still hear sirens coming in. And so I roll over on my stomach again, and again, I do the ping pong, 
back and forth between the walls of the hallway. And as I'm breaking the entry of the front door, whether it's I've watched too many fucking Rambo movies or I've listened to Jocko too many times or some Tim Kennedy too many times, whatever podcast, whatever it is I listen to, whatever survival. Um, I teach health, safety, and environmental for a large company. Whatever it was, something that I had heard in training clicked in my fucking head and it said, you've been shot in the abdomen. Don't let your urine or anything else burst in there. Get it out. I didn't know... I I knew I was shot somewhere in this region right here, but I didn't know, and that's right, right um, below the rib cage, but uh, before the stomach. And so I didn't know, I I didn't know where it had exited. I didn't know anything else or if it had exited. And so I went into the bathroom and I couldn't stand anymore. I'm too weak and I'm, and there's a trail of blood that's going all the way in there. And so I remember sitting down and pissing. Kind of embarrassing to say. But I couldn't fuck it. I couldn't keep standing. Like, I, I was so out of it whenever it was taking everything I had. And so I finished. I don't even remember flushing the toilet. I don't remember any of that. I just stood up. I pissed. I stood up. And I'm, I'm not able to stand all the way up. I make it to the breach of the door. And as soon as I, my foot crosses the threshold to exit, um, I remember two people grabbing me and slamming me on a gurney. Uh, I say slamming. They didn't do it intentionally. They were just, I was collapsing. I was going down. So then I remember that um, the females that were there were not large females. Again, I'm six foot, 230, 235. So it was more of, hey, I got you, lay on, lay on this. And so they got me on the on the, uh, on the the stretcher, on the gurney. I don't, I'm not really sure what the scientific definition for it is. As they're going, as they're wheeling me out, they're strapping me in. They're wheeling me to the edge of the uh, driveway. I could look over and I could see that officer still with my son and she was um, right outside of another, I don't know if it was her, her vehicle or another officer's vehicle. I really don't know. Um, I, that was the last time that I saw him for some time, obviously. Um, she came over once they loaded me up in the ambulance. I remember her coming over with my phone. So she had gotten my wallet and my phone, which were on the, on the, they were right next to my body whenever uh, I was laying there on the couch or laying there on the floor next to the couch. So at some point, she came back in and she grabbed that while I was being loaded into the ambulance. So she opened my wallet and she took my driver's license and she took my Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance card. She handed the Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance card to uh, the lady uh, that was working the ambulance. And then... She, uh, and I don't know when they gave it back or anything else. I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't see that. That wasn't within sight. And then she asked me to do the fingerprint to unlock my phone because they wanted to call someone for my son. They did, obviously they didn't want to take him down to CPS. They want, they wanted to get his attention, the medical attention that he needed and then give him to a family member to where he's safe. And so I'm trying to unlock my phone. My body's in shock. I'm sweating profusely. They're trying to get. They got my, I didn't have a shirt on, but they got my shorts, you know, cut all the way up, my underwear cut. They're, they're wiping blood from all over my abdomen, uh, and they can't get the, anything to stick on my chest because I'm sweating profusely. They had dried me off multiple times. I remember my cell phone wouldn't open because my fingerprint, just something was fucked up on it. I, I, whether I was sweating or I had blood on my hands, whatever else it was. So she asked for the code. I gave her the code, and then um, she asked for a name that she could contact. And then 
I remember them closing that door and we sat there for a few minutes and I could hear outside, I could hear them talking about lifelight and I heard someone say that uh, it's, it's, not, it's unavailable. It can't be en route for so long. And so they were going to have to drive me in. And so our destination was uh, Memorial Hermann. I didn't know that until we started rolling, but thank God because, guys, shout out again already. We haven't even got to that phase of the story, but these officers, the ambulance people, Memorial Herman, guys, my hat's off to you. Like, everything that you guys have done, my hat's off to you. True warriors. So, anyways, we get in the, we get in, um, the ambulance, and this young lady that's in the back, I don't know if she was a medic for the fire department or, or just for the ambulance. I, I'm, I'm not that well-educated. Um, but I remember her working just fucking nonstop on trying to get me. Uh, she, they have me strapped a little bit, but it's just more of, of uh, so in case they hit something or whatever, I'm just not going to be a projectile bouncing around in the back of the vehicle. Um, but I remember she could not get my body to stop sweating. Um, I was shaking at one point real bad and she couldn't give me any medicine. She couldn't give me medicine because they were trying to put these things on my chest that measure everything, right? It, it measures your heart rate and it, it tells, it, it tells them your vitals is basically what it is. And it records it the whole time. And so she can't get them on. And so I kept asking, I was like, I'm in pain. Can you give me a shot of something? Just, just make the pain go away. And so I'm starting, I'm not, I'm not like, my vision's not going from black, like you get hit from black, small, anything like that, but I'm getting so weak that I'm starting just to, to lay, basically limp, limp-like. Um, and I remember looking over and tilting my head over to my side, because uh, I had been face up, and I remember just laying my head to the side, and I was thinking, I was like, well, it was a hell of a fucking fight. Um, it was at that point right there where everything had calmed down. I was in a safe state. My son was in a safe state. If I was going to go, this, this was going to be the time it was going to be during the transport. And I remember looking over and seeing my cell phone. And, uh, I asked her, I said, at some point, I don't know when they got that cell phone back. I don't, but at some point they got that cell phone back. So I remember asking that young lady, I said, can can you hand me my phone? And she went to go reach over my body to grab it. And she goes, for what? Who are you going to call? I said, I got to call work and tell them I'm not going to be in. And she goes, we're not going to do that. And she just sat back down. And it was a long, bumpy, son of a bitch. I don't know what route they took to Memorial Hermann, but every pothole that you can think of hitting, we hit. Every single one of them. So it was a rough, long ride down to Memorial Hermann. So we pull in. They back into whatever they back into. I don't know. Their bays, whatever else, man. And I remember that door swinging open. And there was a lot of people that were outside waiting to grab me and take me in. But I, I remember specifically there was a fuckload of Harris County Sheriff's officers that were there. Now, I don't know if they work at that hospital, like a bunch of them provide security, or they they uh, provided a detail for the, the ambulance driver down to Memorial. I have no idea. Still to this day, I, I don't know. But I know when that door opened, the amount, there were more sheriffs that were there than what there was uh, medics and ambulances that were outside. That were outside, of course. 
And so they take me and they wheel me into uh, this huge operating room. And this, guys, it, I felt like an alien because as, as you're going in, you're laying, uh, you're facing upwards. So you're just seeing lights. You can look your head around, but everyone is masked out. Uh, everybody has on mask. Everyone has on uh, surgical clothing. You can't identify who the doctor is, who the nurses are, who anything else is. And whenever they rolled me in this huge room, all the way around, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder, all the way around this room, they were standing, looking at me. It was just, a, I'm, I'm saying 20, 25 people were in there. And uh, I remember them coming over and they started grabbing me all over the place. I'm naked. I'm in the nude. And so uh, they start rolling me, and they're looking for an exit wound. And I remember they were feeling like, or they rolled me over, and I can remember there's blood all over me. And I remember someone glancing their hand over my ass, and I said, I was shot in my abdomen. And I remember this, I don't know what he was, he's a doctor or whatever else. He goes, sir, we're looking for the exit of the bullet. It could have come out anywhere. We just, we need to know that the bullet came out, that you were shot through and through. And unfortunately, I wasn't. So... This is a section that we're going to pick up with on the next podcast because now you know the details leading up and you see where I'm at now. Now this fight that's coming up is a whole nother type of fight. All right. And so, and I want to tell you guys about it. So, hey, if you guys want to get in touch with me until my website is put up, ryan007cook007 at gmail.com. Um, Again, a few things that I want to talk about real quick. Just want to glance over. So whenever we're doing this, normally this ending conversation will be like a second piece conversation. We'll have maybe, you know, whatever guest is on or whatever I'm sitting here doing. We'll talk about some, probably some current events that are going on, whatnot, and maybe just laugh and joke and just have a good time. But um, for this first episode, without any sponsors going or anything else like that, uh, we haven't got there yet. But I again, I want to thank memorial herman hospital uh definitely thank them i want to thank harris county sheriff's officers all the boys and girls that wear the blue um houston police department everybody that's out there right now that's that's fighting to protect us we know that you're doing a hell of a job guys you are and um we know that you're doing the best you can to keep us alive whether it be at memorial herman or uh you know our our people in blue, they're doing the best they can to lock up the people who aren't, aren't doing right. Our city, our city basically, I, I live, I don't live in Houston, I live in a suburb of Harris County. And it's very easy to say that Harris County right now is being ran like Gotham City. There's a bunch of crooked ass people from judges to uh, Hidalgo, all the way down, our DA system has been destroyed. We're over 60 DA short in Harris County. Why? Because they were doing their job. And these judges who obviously are getting their pockets filled somewhere, somewhere along the lines, they're getting their pockets filled. Because there are people with aggravated crimes. And in the state of Texas, they dropped the attempt to murder. You can no longer be charged with attempted murder in the state of Texas. 
So people that tried to kill people are getting out on bond. And some of them are killing again. Think about that. They were arrested for trying to kill someone. And these judges are letting them out. And then they're killing. They're actually killing someone. I think there's been, in the last two years, over 60 cases like this that's happened. You can check my facts. I could be wrong. Um, I talked to quite a few DAs because they're in and out. Uh, by them, some of the bad things about them being in and out, we'll, we'll get to that later, but a lot of evidence is also being misplaced because you have people that are turning over left and right. They're, they work for the DA. They're doing their job. Judges aren't doing theirs. Someone's paying them. Someone's padding their pockets. And so the DAs get fed up with it and say, fuck it, I'm out. I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. But uh, that is something that we're going to address coming up. So, again, if you can get in touch with me, Ryan007Cook007 at gmail.com. Hey, guys, I thank you for your time. I really appreciate it.